Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. Hey, you can turn in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. We are starting or uh, continuing our Ezra and Nehemiah series. A lot of introduction was done when we started in the book of Ezra. Do you know, or you do know, that uh, early on, uh, originally, if you and I were Jewish and reading our good Jewish Bibles, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah were not two books, but they were one. So there is some controversy over splitting the books and even the timing of when things took place during the exile of the Israelites. We discussed some of that when we started in the book of Ezra. Um, all that to say we will not uh, go, thank you, we will not go there again this morning. Uh, if you are curious or you were not here with us for that um, I could certainly give you something to read, and we could talk about it again. So, I thought this week about broken walls, a broken city, and broken people. I was studying uh, earlier in the week, um, much earlier than usual, amen, right? And uh, God can use that, God does use that. So Diane and I had the opportunity, I had made an appointment with Pastor Barry, some of you know Barry Brown, um, my brother from another mother. Uh, we shared a last name. But Brother Barry came for a prayer walk for specific purposes. About once a month lately, we've been prayer walking uh, in our community in Midway and Barclay. And I was very excited for this prayer walk earlier this week because uh, Diane uh, had her first opportunity to go with us. And so Barry, Diane, and I, and two puppies who shall remain nameless, um, went on a prayer walk, and um, God broke our hearts. Um, you know, even prior to that, um, Diane observed uh, earlier, the week before, someone for whom we care greatly who's really struggling in life uh, in our community. And this person was publicly having just a very, very difficult time. And uh, she was sleeping on the sidewalk, and it was a hundred hundred degree. The heat index was above a hundred that day, and we saw her for several days. And um, I, I can't get the picture out of my mind. You guys know um, I am a person in recovery. Some of you are because we share that in our Celebrate Recovery group, but we struggle with this. And we cried, and Diane cried, and we prayed for our friend for whom we care greatly. And then Barry and Diane and I went on our prayer walk a few days later, which was the other day, and I saw, we saw again broken homes, condemned buildings. We saw row houses that were falling apart, and there would be three or four row houses, but then there would be a home where a family lives and that's where people come out every day and go to work, and that's their home, and that's where they live with their children or their spouse. And they live in the midst of this brokenness in our community. And I thought about broken people, and I thought about a broken city and broken people, when, and I couldn't get that heaviness out of my mind when I thought about our own city this week. 
We prayed. There were divine appointments. There was a man on his porch out in the morning. And we prayed with this man. And we said, how can we pray for you today? And he said, please pray that I'll be safe in my community, that nothing will happen to me today. That was his prayer request. Not for joy or peace or not for something good. He didn't want to die in his community. A grown man, I don't know how old he was. He, looked, he, could have been, he could have been my age, maybe a little younger than me, but sitting on his porch, and that was his prayer request at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. That was his prayer request. I don't want to die. Broken city, broken people. But that's the first thing on someone's mind in our community is I hope that I survive today. Brokenness. 15,000, if you ask uh, downtown at City Hall, 15,000 vacant row homes in our city. If you ask others, they say it's closer to 20,000. I will say that I've seen some progress on that this year, praise God. I do see progress on that. I see some things being done. Nonetheless, brokenness. 225 murders in our city this year so far. City of less than 600,000 people now. Uh, That's crazy. Spiritual warfare. We pray against that every week here at Graffiti. You say, Pastor, please, don't send me home depressed this morning. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. What Nehemiah saw when he asked, he didn't see it yet. He asked his friends who had come from Jerusalem, so what is going on in the city and, and what's going on with the people and our city? And here is what they said. He, in verse 3, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So when we talk about number one, I'm going to be just, I'm going to be literal here today. Broken people, broken walls and broken gates. Next slide, please. So at this time, during Nehemiah's time in the city of Jerusalem, there were ten gates surrounding that city, and each one had its own purpose. And we're not going to go into the purpose of all of the gates of the city, but so you, you see the, um, say I'm going to do it anyway, right? You see the sheep gate up at the top there, not far from the temple, and that was where all the sacrificial animals came in through that gate. And so there would be, at certain times of the year, there would be hundreds of animals coming through that gate to take to the temple to be sacrificed for the sins of the people or to be sacrificed to God. And then there was the horse gate and the east gate where the army would go back and forth and not necessarily parade, but you would see the strength of the city and the strength of the Israelites in that gate. And the dung gate at the bottom is just what it sounds like. That's where all the stuff was taken out of the city. And so it's this picture of everything that wasn't good, right? All of the trash, everything from the animals, right? I'm being polite this morning. We're in church going out the dung gate. And you think about the city being clean or pure, right? And each gate had its purpose. But the Israelites were in exile to, and they were under, they were basically enslaved to the Medes and the Persians. Um, and so, so, so Jerusalem was desolate. There was a remnant, a handful of people there. They had been there because some had come back to rebuild the temple. You remember that, the book of Ezra. And then another wave, another group came back to, to reinforce and to be there. Um, but it said as time went on, and remember, some time has passed by now. 
And Nehemiah is asking how things are going. Uh, next slide, please. And he says, there is a lack of physical protection. The city was vulnerable. People could come in and go out as they pleased. When the, when the city, when the Israelites lived in the city, when the city was strong and when God's people were living in obedience to him, the gates were there, the walls were built up tall, and that was how, of course, the city was safe from attack. But also, at each one of those gates, certain things took place. The leaders of the city would be outside of some of these gates. And if you had a challenge or a beef or a problem, you could talk to one of the leaders of your city. And as I told you, each gate had a purpose, so there were things going on. So it was a place of commerce and business and even um, discussion and fellowship and all of these different things took place as people went in and out of the gates. If you were doing business, if you were a fisherman, you would go out the gate and you would fish and you would bring your stuff back through the fish gate to the market. So, so that's what a, a thriving city would look like, right? And that was not happening here. So we see some things. There was a lack of physical protection. The people who were there were constantly vulnerable to attack. Day and night, no protection. There was a lack of productivity. There was no business going on or very little business. Everyone, watch this, everyone was on survival mode. There was a lack of productivity. Business was not being done. A business couldn't thrive in the city of Jerusalem because the walls were broken down, they were unprotected, the gates were broken down, and nobody was protecting the people who would have their business there. So there was a lack of productivity. And the people, the people who were there, were suffering. But he says a couple things that are very descriptive here. He says, the people were in distress and they were a reproach. Now, that's not, that's not a good thing, right? We have defined distress before when we talked about the state of the Jews uh, in exile. And distress, we said they were suffering. They were in pain, physical pain, emotional pain. They were unhappy. They were heartbroken. They were worried and they were sad. Those are the definitions and synonyms of the word distress. So the people who were living here, this was the natural order of their lives because of what was going on. And they were also a reproach to others who saw them. You know, I hear people say, uh, when I say something about, or someone asks me where I live, or we're doing some business for the church, and I say something about Baltimore City, and someone will say something rude, negative, um... I don't know. Again, we're in church. I'm using polite words. They'll say something rude or negative about Baltimore City. I say, hey, that's my home. I live there. That's one of my responses. That's where I live. That's where my family lives. But you see, but you see, because of the things that are happening in our city that are broken, there are some systems in our city that are broken. Our gates, some of our gates are broken. And there are people in our city who are vulnerable. Um, our walls, some of our walls, some of our protection in our city is broken down. I'm not throwing shade. I'm saying we're, we're, setting, we're setting a sober table here this morning, but, but, but we're not going to stay here the whole time. Amen. But there are walls that are broken down in our city. There are people who are vulnerable and suffering. Some of the gates of our city have been burned to the ground, just like in Jerusalem. 
And so some of the things that are supposed to go on in a healthy city don't go on in our city. People are in distress, lots of people. I don't make this up. We go out and talk to people on purpose. We just finished a whole month of sports camps, loving on kids and loving on families right here in our park every day for a month, four weeks of sports camps. So, so we talk to parents, we talk to families. We're prayer walking in our community with our city councilmen and with our police chaplains. We're walking in, in our community and praying with people. Diane's usually out in front of all of us asking someone how she can pray with them and can she play, please pray for them right then and there. Uh, I love that about who she is. So, so I'm not making these things up. We have a challenge in our city. Our city needs revival. Our city needs Jesus. So it's not going to come through City Hall. It's not going to come through new elected leaders. It's not going to come from the state of Maryland. It's not going to come from Washington, D.C. It's not. That's not where revival is coming from. Revival is coming from the power of the Holy Spirit and the shed blood of Jesus Christ when men and women's hearts are broken, uh, brokenness over our own sinfulness, when, when those things begin to happen in a, larger, in a larger way in our city, then we will have revival, and then we will get to do some of the things that we're going to talk about next week. Now, do we just sit and wait? These are some of the questions, right? So what am I supposed to do? Do I just wait? Okay, Holy Spirit, your turn. No, you know that's not what we do. But so here, again, this remnant of people, they're in distress. They're disrespected, man. I, you know what? I don't like it when someone throws some sideways shade at our city or our community. They may even say something that's true, but they're not saying it because they love Jesus or care about me or you, right? You know what I'm talking about. And then some of it... You, you can't even say anything in return because they're telling the truth, right? Our city, there are some things that are broken. They're just broken, and it's hard, right? And so there's a different kind of brokenness that needs to take place before things get better. So here's where Nehemiah is in verse 3. He hears this. That's what those words mean, and he hears this. And how, then, does Nehemiah respond? Next slide. So, number two here, responding to brokenness. Now it's going to get good because here's how revival will start. Um, here's how revival started in Jerusalem and here's how it will begin in Baltimore. I'm not saying it hasn't already begun. There are prayer warriors in this room and there are praying Christians in hundreds and hundreds of churches, hundreds anyway, all over our city who are praying for the very same thing this morning that we will pray for. Amen. There are people who love Jesus and have given their lives to care for their city. They are. But so, here, Nehemiah's response. I love this. So, when we think about Nehemiah, we talk about he was a great leader. He was a builder. He was a doer. Nehemiah got after it. I want to be a leader like Nehemiah, right? Well, let's slow down for a minute. I need to slow down for a minute sometimes. Let's look at this. There are some things that took place that we see all in verse 4 that Nehemiah did. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. This is what Nehemiah did. Now, one, I'm a Baptist. Don't ask me to fast, right? Oh, no, Lord have mercy. So last time I preached about this, I was a little careless because I got all fired up for Jesus, 
And that next week, I picked my day and I fasted. This was a couple months ago, so I'm not bragging. And I fasted one day. Like I was doing some great thing for Jesus, right? Come on, man. Come on. Um, Nehemiah fasted and he was praying and he was crying. Look, a grown man of influence in the city was crying. A strong man, a grown man. Recently, uh, I went to court with a man who is about six foot five and weighs about 240 pounds, maybe. I mean, just a great big guy, right? And we were sitting on a bench outside the courtroom because they don't let you go sit in there anymore like, you know, and like, uh, like a TV show and listen to everybody's cases. And we were sitting out there and I asked him, could I pray for him? And he wasn't sure whether he was coming back out of there or not that day. And I could tell his heart was heavy. God's doing something in his life. And I said, brother, can I pray for you? And he said, oh, please, pastor. And I prayed for him. And then the dude on the other side of the hallway, I didn't even know him. He said, you a pastor? I said, yep, pray for me too, pastor. Dude wasn't sure he was coming back out of the courtroom either, right? But my friend, my friend is a great big man, uh, no kidding, um, who's seen a lot more uh, things in Baltimore City that I don't want to see. A tear coming down the side of his face here. And then a tear coming down the side of his face here. Um, because God's doing something in his heart. The right kind of brokenness was going on, right? But, but I say all that to tell you that this grown man in the middle of a hallway in a, in a, in a, a circuit court building downtown had tears coming down his face because of what God was doing in his life. That's where it starts. But Nehemiah was crying and grieving because he knew his people were a reproach and he knew that they were living in distress. And Nehemiah worked for the king. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So Nehemiah's life wasn't bad. Here is this guy, and this is what he's doing. There's a couple of thoughts here. One, um, before I lose this, um, I'm not looking at my text messages. There was a verse I forgot to write down in my notes, and I found it this morning. There are some things that happen when we sit still. I am not a person who does well sitting still. Uh, If I hear something, I think I'm supposed to do something. But you know, some of us need to sit still. Some of us, I'll just speak for myself, need to shut up and sit still. Um, Just speaking for me, not you, of course. Um, But listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 8. In Proverbs chapter 8, the writer is saying, listen to instructions. I'll start in verse 33. Listen to instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is a person who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. Listening, watching, and waiting. You heard it too, didn't you? At my gates, at my doorposts. The writer is saying the gates of Jerusalem belong to God. And lots of things took place at those gates and at those doorposts. And the writer is saying, be still, listen, watch, and wait. Some of us don't like to wait Just because something is good doesn't mean you're supposed to be the one that does it. Just because something is right doesn't mean that I'm supposed to be the one that does it. Watch this. Just because something needs to be done tomorrow doesn't mean that I have to be the one to do it. So now, is is God saying don't do anything? Well, of course not. 
But some of us want to do everything. We hear a need. Oh, I'm going to do that, Pastor. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. One of the reasons some of us do that is we don't like to sit still. We're not listening. Excuse me. I'm not listening. I'm not watching. And I'm not waiting. I'm watching for the activity of God, so some of you will recognize this, so that I can go where God is at work and join him there. But if I'm not watching, I'm going to miss that. I'm going to do it Charlie's way instead of God's way. There's a big old box sitting down in the hallway. It's six feet by five feet. It's a perfect example of that. It didn't fit in the van when I, uh, when I was at Home Depot the other day, so I had to leave it. I paid for it, put all my other stuff in the van, and came back. So I had a whole 24 hours to think about it, right? So I got in Bernard's truck the next day, and I went back, and it fit in the truck, and I strapped it down. I didn't know. It's, it's not one of those stories. And, and I brought it all the way back here. I said, come on, Bernard, let's get this thing in here. And we got it in here, and I said, you know, I'm going to go check on something. All the time I had to do this, I went upstairs with a tape measure, and I, I measured this tub again, and after all that... I have brought home the wrong box. Yep. 60 by 32, not 60 by 30. Why? Why? Because I'm going to run and do this, and I'm going to run and do that, because I don't like to sit still, because I... Listen, listen, you might, that might be just a little simple and a little humorous, but sometimes we'll miss something that God has for us. Sometimes we'll miss something that God has for our church, because we think we have to do it all, or I think I have to do it all. Listen, watch, and wait. I love that in the book of Proverbs. There is a verse in um, Psalm thirty-three twenty. If you would like another one, we wait for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. We wait for the Lord. Why? Because he is the one. Psalm 33 and verse 20. He is our shield and he is our help. Um, writer said on LifeWay.com, said, while busyness afflicts both men and women... The distraction from God was more likely um, to affect men than women in every continent surveyed except for North America. As a matter of fact, where 69, um, don't let me lie, that's my handwriting, where 62% of the women and 61% of men reported busyness as interfering with their relationship with God. As a matter of fact, um, because you guys give me time to study the Word of God every week, so um, in the month of Chislev, say Chislev. Yeah, I don't want y'all to fall asleep. Say Chislev. That's a good one, right? Now, in verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, there's another month there called Nisan. Say Nisan. That's a little more familiar, right? Nisan. Yeah, like my son-in-law's truck, but yeah, so you know what I figured out? I'm a little slow, but you know what I figured out regarding verse 4 here? Nehemiah spent four months. He spent about between three and four months, more than three, less than four, right in there, three or four months fasting, praying, and seeking God's face before he took action. Before he took action. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah was a person of influence. Nehemiah had the king's ear. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king. That was an important position in his society. And we'll talk more about that. Uh, we'll talk more about that next week. But so Nehemiah, now here's what Nehemiah is going to do. Here's the uh, next thing that Nehemiah is going to do here. 
Um, there we go. Praying through the brokenness. Praying through the brokenness. So I confessed to God, I confessed to my wife, and I confessed to two of our men here in church this morning. I said, you know what, guys, I can't stand up in front of these people and preach about praying and the condition of my own personal prayer life. Do I pray for people? Yes. Do I care for people? Yes. Do I pray the way I'm supposed to? No. Do I'm praying the way I know the Lord wants me to if I really care about the brokenness of our city or I really care about the souls of the people in our city? No. And God's convicted me greatly. So I will share a few things with you uh, regarding prayer. Uh, and here we go. Uh, regarding prayer in verses 5 through 11. Now, there are lots of acronyms for prayer and there's lots of um, you see different prayers, and this guy has a formula, and that guy has a formula. I just wanted something I could remember. But you will see this in this prayer, and um, these particular these particular words aren't even my own. I stole them. I gave somebody credit there for this particular um, um, words he used for Nehemiah's prayer. By the way, you know, there are 14, I believe, you can count them when you read the whole book of Nehemiah because you're so excited about it. I think there were 14 prayers in the book of Nehemiah. This guy didn't just pray when he thought everyone was in trouble. And he didn't just start praying when things got rough. Somebody who prays like this, that's something that you do on a regular basis. That's something this man did for many, many years. But so here we go. Number one, adoration. Adoration. We say, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. A couple of things here. Nehemiah starts his prayer with saying, Oh, great and awesome God, you are the great God. But he talks about, and you guys know what we do, when someone talks about the nature and character of God, in the word of God, we pay attention. God is the one who keeps the covenant. One of the first things he says is all about relationship. And, you know, he's talking to a group of people who are in exile, who are enslaved to another group of people, mainly because of their disobedience. We could go back to the book of Deuteronomy, back to the book of Numbers, where God says, listen, if you obey me and if you keep the covenant with me, you're going to go to the promised land and you're going to do this and you're going to do this. But if you don't, I will disperse you and all across the world and you will be... Um, in subjugation or slavery all across the world. And that's exactly what was happening because of their disobedience. But the first thing Nehemiah talks about, God, you are so awesome. You are the God who would never break your relationship with me, even though I break my relationship with you every day. See? And why, why is this so important? Because this is a picture of the, this is, excuse me, the nature and character of God. This is the nature and character of your salvation in Jesus Christ, his son, our savior. He saves us from our sins because of his shed blood on the cross, where he conquered sin, rose from the dead three days later and conquered death, offers us eternal life, offers us eternal life. And it is a nature and character of God. Once he saves you, you are saved. You and I still get up the next day and sin. I will say something stupid. I will mistreat someone. I will I'll do something today before the day is over. I will sin. 
But God doesn't break covenant with me. See, our salvation says Jesus is always faithful. The Bible here says God is always faithful. So in his adoration of God, the first thing Nehemiah acknowledges is, God, you are always faithful. And you're going to see why in just a moment. You're great. You're awesome. And you always offer mercy. You always offer mercy. So God always offers mercy and God never breaks relationship with you and me. Amen. So that's the first thing that Nehemiah says to God. This is who you are. But then, verse 6, we see brokenness. Oh God, let your ear. So there's a sense of urgency, right? He's imploring. I beseech you. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night. Nehemiah is not just praying this right before he eats his fruit loops at breakfast and eats his dinner at 6 p.m. He's not just praying. Some of y'all there, Fruit Loops. I just finished a box of Fruit Loops. That's why it popped in my head. I know that's terrible. I have grandkids, and they buy these boxes of cereal this tall, and then they go home, and somebody has to eat them. I volunteered. So, so day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we, we, he includes himself, have sinned against you, I and my father's house have sinned. I do believe there's such a thing as corporate sin, whether it's in a church, whether it's in a greater community, a sin problem in a particular city. Watch this, a sin problem in your family or in my family. We all have them, right? We don't like to talk about them. That's sin. Let's, talk, let's not talk about that, right? It's not fun, right? But Nehemiah says, we have all our, our people, Israel, our whole country sinning, Lord, my family sinning, and I have sinned against you. So we see this brokenness, the right kind of brokenness. He is confessing his sins. On behalf of the sons of Israel, we have sinned against you. He doesn't end there. We have acted corruptly. Nehemiah says we are corrupt. We usually reserve that word for politicians who get caught with their hands in the cookie jar or down at a particular hotel where they shouldn't be. And we say those people are corrupt. Nehemiah is saying we're all corrupt. My sinfulness says, Charlie, left to your own devices, except for Jesus Christ, you are corrupt. Oh my. Oh my. Yeah, we don't like that. And he says, why are we corrupt? Why have we act? Because we've broken your commandments, your statutes, your ordinances. Look, Nehemiah says, we broke all of them. He said, we didn't just break a couple. We broke the ordinances, the commandments, the statutes. We got all, he's making sure he, he covers the bases, right? That's the kind of sinner I am. That's the kind of sinner I am. Uh, and I can tell you, there's a little bit of nuance of difference why he says statutes, ordinances, command, but we won't do that this morning. Um, but then he says, oh God, remember. Remember the word you commanded your servant? Well, here's Nehemiah, watch this. Now, he's not done yet. Now, he's going to recall the promises of God. Uh, next slide. In verses, uh, oh yes, I should have already had that one up talking about confession of our sinfulness in verses 6 and 7. But then he says, oh God, remember your promises. Nehemiah says, God, remember when you promised us this, and we should do that also when we pray. Oh Jesus, remember when your word and your word you said this. Oh, that is such a great and encouraging thing. He said, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you, but if you return to me, you see, this is God's mercy. God is give, offers them the opportunity for repentance. 
If you are breathing in this room right now, everybody is, we all look good. If you're breathing in this room right now, the opportunity for repentance is still there for you right now. Amen? As long as a sinner has some breath of physical life in him or her, there is opportunity for repentance because God is a God of mercy. Now, so, God, you said that if we return to you, you... Now, he's speaking specifically of Israel. Because Nehemiah wants the people to return to God and confess their sins. Because God said in the book of Deuteronomy and in the book of Numbers and other places that if you do, I'll bring you all back. Nehemiah, you're starting to see his vision for Israel and for Jerusalem. You're getting a hint of the vision in his prayer. I don't want to give up all the good stuff. I know you know what happens, right? But again, this is a narrative. We're watching a movie. This is the Nehemiah rebuilding the wall, right? It's a new HBO series we're on. And so, and so Nehemiah says, if you return to me and keep my commandments. Here there is a dependence in verses 8 through 10 on God's word. The promises of God's word. What God said he would do if we sin. What God said he would do if we repent. And God said, I'm going to bring you back. We will rebuild the city. We will rebuild the gates. You will worship in Jerusalem again. Now you say, Pastor Charlie, does this still have implications for us, for for future Israel, for Israel now and in the future? Um, I believe I believe that it does. I believe that there are, and we won't go there this morning. But some someone in the room thought that I am certain. Um, but he's talking. Nehemiah has this vision for in his lifetime. That if they, if they repented, that God would bring them back and restore the city. They'd already rebuilt the temple. They knew that God was faithful. And so he says, if you return, I will gather you from where you are and bring you to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. That's Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is quoting the word of God. He, he, you're seeing his dependence on the word of God. So even in his prayer, even in our prayers, pray the word of God. You pray for the brokenness of our city, and you pray for the salvation of souls of people who are suffering in our city. Pray the word of God. Nehemiah is praying the word of God here in chapter 1. And then lastly, we're going to see his entreaty, I know, his prayer request, okay? But we had to get an A, B, C, D, E, right? So we can remember that. I like, and it's not really an acronym because it's not a word, but it's A, B, C, D, E, so I like that. So this entreaty, and what is the entreaty in verse 11? Because he doesn't specifically, he prays for Israel. He, he, he calls out to God and gives God adoration. He confesses his sins. He confesses his brokenness. He, he prays the word of God, but he hasn't asked God for anything yet. But he does in verse 11. He says, he says, hear our prayer, and here it is. He said, for those who delight to revere your name, He says, make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Nehemiah is asking God to give him success because he is going to stand in front of the king and he's going to make a request. Now, you probably know this, but if you go in front of the king and you don't look right, you don't smell right, no kidding, you're not dressed right, you don't talk right, if the king just, if the king just makes a face of displeasure, they're going to snatch you out from the king's presence and nobody will ever see you again. Yeah, you know. If, if any displeasure. Yeah, I mean, the king was like that 
All he had to do was look side. You know, you look sideways at your kids once in a while when they get on your nerves. If the king looked sideways and he didn't like what Nehemiah said, Nehemiah is done for. This literally, it was like that. Nehemiah, and we learn in verse 11, now I was the cupbearer to the king. He is going to go before the king on behalf of the children of Israel. And he knows he better be right. He knows because if the, if the king expresses, this pagan king expresses the least little bit of displeasure, he's going to meet God. So Nehemiah is getting everything right. He's getting everything right because this is a serious request. And you know what I think sometimes? What risk? I could have kept going and you'll be glad that I didn't. But what risk am I willing to take today for the souls of people in my city? What, what risk, Nehemiah is asking himself the question, Nehemiah, what risk am I willing to take for my people, the Israelites? You and I, wherever you live, we live here in Baltimore City. What am I willing to risk for the souls of the people in my city? Man, you know, every now and then we like to give ourselves a pat on the back, but I, I've been thinking about that. Um, you know what? This guy was putting it all on the line. Next week we're going to see what happens. But this morning we have seen the nature of and character of who God is. Remember, God never breaks relationship. God is merciful. As long as you are breathing, you have an opportunity to repent and make something right with God. Is it a small thing? Is it a big thing? Is it your salvation that, that you've never come before Jesus and confessed your sins to become a follower of Jesus? Whether it's big or whether it's small, God is a God who does not break covenant. He loves you. He loves you. And as long as you have breath in your physical body, you have an opportunity to repent and make things right. The Bible says, and, and Diane, I, I hear, I love this, you know, that God's mercies are new every morning. And I love that verse. Maybe somebody here today needs to lean into that. Because the God of all mercy, he's the only one who's qualified to be truly merciful regarding life and death, right? Wants to have mercy on you in your salvation, and in your day-to-day -day life. So do I care enough about the brokenness of the lives and the hearts of people in my city? I'm starting to say the people in my city, not just my city, our city, where we serve God. And what will that lead me to do this week? I'm not saying we run out there and do something crazy, right? Because Nehemiah spent four months praying about it. He prayed, he cried, he wept. And he called out to God. The message to me this week is repent, listen, watch, and wait. Because I'm one that likes to run and do. Because then I don't have to think about more important things. So I don't know which one of those is for you this morning. Praying through the brokenness. Um, praying through the brokenness. Some repentance. Or just encouragement. Maybe you are that prayer warrior. And maybe you are that one who quietly fasts and prays at home for the lives and the souls of people in our city. Keep doing it because we need you. Amen. We need you. And then some of us, some more of us, we want to join you in the coming days. We want to be more faithful. I confess to God that I do not believe that I have been faithful in prayer. So as we think Nehemiah is getting ready to take action, God doesn't want us to just sit and watch. But right now he's saying to Nehemiah and to me, 
Hey, Charlie, listen, watch, and wait. The next week we'll see what happens when Nehemiah does take action, amen?